Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about persevering in the light. We talked last night about really just kind of the basics that you need to have a knowledge that you are the light, you are designed to be the light, that the light has been put into you by the presence of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then we heard Pastor D talk this morning about what it means to be an influencer, what it means to take that light out into the world, that I'm just not caused to shine so that I could illuminate myself in my own bedroom. But I'm caused to shine so that I can cause a change, cause a shift in the places and the spaces and everywhere that I go. But the reality is, if you don't have what it takes to persevere, your light will get dim. And I remember when I was starting out in ministry, I sat under a woman, maybe some people in here know, know her, her name is Pastor Gloria Gillespie. And I sat under her, I had the honor, she's the one who gave us the property where we started Crazy 8 Ministries just on a prophetic word. God had given her a dream where he showed her me, he gave me a dream, he showed me her. We didn't know each other. Yeah, wow, right? On faith we connected and wondered what the Lord was doing and so began a discipleship relationship where I sat under her for about three years just learning the ins and the outs about ministry. And one of the things she would say to me over and over and over again is, you can have all the faith in the world, and you can have a really great idea, and there's a lot of people who start really good ideas, but the number one character you need to work on is perseverance. Because if you don't have what it takes to persevere, the enemy will take you out. He doesn't like you. He doesn't want you to get up out of bed every day. He doesn't want you to be effective for the kingdom. He wants you to become discouraged. He wants you to feel disappointed. He wants you to be offended. He wants you to be bitter. He wants you to be lonely. He wants you to be in a wilderness. He wants to put you in a cave. The list could go on and on and on. But unless you have a predetermination that you will, come on, everybody say, I will. You have to predetermine in your mind that I will press on when times get tough. There was a couple of years ago when we were asked to, to leave our property that we were on. We had, our, our, my land had gotten big. The land that we were on was too big. We both couldn't be there at the same time. And so they were like, look, we own the land. It's time for one of us to go, and it's you. And I had 30 days to find property, not just for a building, but for a building and a house that housed homeless people and children. The pressure was on. And I had an assistant at the time, was not Liz, everybody knows Liz, she's amazing, but I had an assistant at the time, she said, what can I do to help you? And I looked her straight in the eyes and I said, don't let me give up. And to this day, she made a homemade sign that says, never give up, and to this day, that sign hangs in my office. As a reminder that the enemy will not take me out. He will discourage me. He will cause me to feel disappointed. He will try to frustrate me. But at the end of the day, it is my choice whether I quit or not. Do not blame the enemy for your opposition. Do not blame the enemy when you have quit. Come on, let's own what's ours. The word perseverance actually means a persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay. It is the quality that somebody has that causes them 
to continue despite any opposition. But if you were to read it in the Greek, there are some really short words, which I love short words, that kind of sum up what does it mean to persevere? What does perseverance mean biblically? What it means is I have an insistence. Come on, we don't really like that. We don't like when our kids are insistent with us, right? They stop there, and they're tenacious about a moment. They're stubborn. And these are the words that God uses to describe what it means to have perseverance. It means I'm going to have an insistence. I'm going to have a tenacity. I'm going to have a stubbornness. I'm going to be firm. I'm going to be immovable. We know that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my brethren, he's talking to the believer, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing this, that the work of the Lord will never be in vain. Come on, some of us aren't sure. I love that passage that says in Philippians that we can be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until completion. I often like to say, we quote the second part of that verse saying, He's, whatever, whatever he's starting, he's going to carry it out. But the key is in the first part where it says, are you confident? Are you confident that he who started, come on, that means when he started, you don't have to finish. That means when he has built, you don't have to sustain, praise God, because I don't have a million dollars to sustain a million dollar budget. But I didn't build it to where it's at. And that means I don't have to sustain it. I just stay crouched in the presence of the Lord, soaked in the oil of the anointing, and allow him to flow through me. That's all I have to do. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give up. I am not going to give up. So when I was a child, I was known for being stubborn. But in your greatest weakness, his power is perfected. His power is perfected. So I've learned over the years to really pursue what it means to persist and to be uh, to persevere. And little did I know how much I would pull on the words of this woman. And knowing that at the time when she was like, "You got to press in, you got to press in, you got to press in." It's when the enemy's coming after you that you got to press in, you got to press in, you got to press in. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about Elijah. I'm going to read to you. If I could read the entire book of Elijah, or 1 Kings, I would to you. But here's my exhortation to you. Please don't let me feed you the word of God. I'm going to read you excerpts from 1 Kings chapter 18. Pastor D read excerpts from the book of Daniel today. Go home and read it for yourself. Get a fresh revelation. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Don't rely on us to feed you. We don't want to be your jar of oil this weekend. You have a jar of oil that far supersedes anything that comes from my mouth. 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 19, write it down. I'm going to whip you through it, but you better go home and read it because I guarantee you God has more for you. That today is just a trajectory. It's just a starting place you stand upon, and if you press into this, God will take you a step further. In 1 Kings chapter 18, this is a great time of sadness for the people of God. They've given in to the ways of the world. They've stepped out of their identity. As Pastor D talked about this morning, she said they have come under the label of pagan idolatry. They have given up their rightful inheritance. They have said no to God, and they have said yes to the ways of the world. And they're under the leadership of King Ahab and his lovely wife, who? Jezebel. 
They're under the hand, they're under the oppression of King Ahab and Jezebel. And the Bible tells us that there are 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah that are, caught, are bringing forth the traditions and the worship of their God. And there's a sadness in this chapter, in chapter 18. There's a man named Obadiah. He's the right hand to the king Ahab. And the Bible says that he has hidden the only 100 prophets of the Lord left, 50 in two different caves. So there are a hundred prophets of the Lord, but where are they at? They're in caves. They have the light. Come on. They have the illumination of the Father. They have the knowledge of God. They carry, they're called prophets of the Lord, but they're hiding in a cave. I can't help but think of Gideon in the promised land after they've already won the promises of God. But when the prophet shows up, he finds Gideon threshing wheat in a cave. Something that they should have done that would celebrate the goodness of God, rejoicing, illuminating. Look at what God has done for my life. But he's pressing, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding because he's fearful that the enemy might get a scent of some of his success, might get a scent that he's prospering and steal it. And so he's found hiding, and here we have the prophets who are hiding in caves, not illuminating. But Elijah steps up, and he says, I call you to a challenge. I want to have a rumble on the mountaintop. Come on, you bring your people, and I'm going to bring my one God, and we're going to see who shows up. We see a tenacity in him. He walks into Obadiah. He says to Obadiah, Obadiah, go tell Ahab, Ahab, I want to talk to him. Obadiah says, do you want me to lose my life? Because he has been looking for you. He calls him a trouble, troubler of Israel. And he says, I'm just not going to go up to the king Ahab and say, that, and say that Elijah is requesting a conversation with you. But Elijah presses in. He goes, he has this conversation with Ahab, and he says to him, look, I want, I want to challenge you. You bring all your prophets of Baal, and I'll bring myself, because I'm the lone ranger here. Come on, am I talking to anybody here? Because some of you are waiting for the hundred prophets that are hiding in the cave before you start your thing. And Elijah didn't wait for the hundred prophets that are hiding in the cave to start his thing. He was it. So he challenges them to a rumble. He says, let's go up to the mountaintop and let's see whose God shows up by fire. So many things you can learn from this story. My one of my favorite verses is he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? Come on. Daniel didn't waver. He didn't waver. He had an opinion that was yelling in his ear, but he did not waver. How long will you waver between two opinions? Hey, you know what? If Baal is your God, then serve him but I'm going to serve the living God. And he begins to challenge them. He says, you get your, your sacrifice. I'm going to get my sacrifice. This is one of the most beautiful things in the scripture. Is he say, it says that he goes to the altar of the Lord that was ruined, and he restores the altar of the Lord. He takes yesterday's rubble, and he rebuilds it for something new. Come on. He takes yesterday's rubble, because somebody in here has yesterday's rubble, and the enemy's telling you it's just rubble. And God is saying, oh, no, 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 that's exactly what I'm going to use to rebuild your future. Come on, there is no rubble in your life that God cannot use to build something new. It was the rubble that they had forgotten that God fell on with fire. And so he calls them to this challenge. We know how the story goes. 
God wins. In case you ever don't know the end of any story in the Bible, God wins. And if he's not winning, then he's not done yet because God says all things are good. So if it's not good yet, he's not done yet. Come on. If it's not good yet, he's not done yet. All things work together for good. So he calls him to a challenge between him and the 450 prophets of Baal. And, of course, we know how the story ends. God shows up by fire, and Elijah seized and slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. Man, this guy is flying high. Ooh I got some tenacity. My God just showed up by fire. I knew it. I was confident. I had it going on. But that's not it. That's not the end of the story. Then he says, now it's time for rain. Now, I love this story. Sometimes we miss it because it's kind of hidden with the fire story right in front of it. But it says that Elijah then says to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So after he prophesied the rain will stop, then he prophesied fire, then he prophesied the rain will come. Come on. There's some authority there. He comes on and he says, the Elijah says to him, go and eat, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Can I just demonstrate this for you for a moment? Because I think sometimes we miss it. Jehoshaphat. The Bible says that he got down, and he put his face to the ground so they could not see. And if you read that story in 2 Chronicles, it tells you that in the morning he got up letting us know that he was there all night long. And when he got up, he was no longer afraid of the enemy. He said, you know what? We're going to beat the enemy. We're going to send our praising band in the front lines because I know the victory is mine before I even enter into battle. That's what it means to be confident, to be more than a conqueror in Christ. It means I already know I'm a conqueror before I come into the battle. And so we see this tenacity in Elijah. We see in Jehoshaphat, he gets down on that. He bends his face to the ground between his knees. Then he gets up and he peers towards the sea and he tells his servant, Go look and see if the rain is coming. And so he went and he looked. And he comes back and he says, there's nothing. Now, mind you, again, he's already prophesied to Ahab. He's pulling now on the hem of heaven going, God, please don't make a fool of me. Come on, you promised there was going to be rain coming. I'm looking out. He sees nothing. He comes back. He says, I see nothing again. He says, go back and look again. He comes back, I see nothing. And the Bible tells us that he said and he went back Seven times. Go back seven times, which, by the way, is a number of completion. Yeah. Come on. So when somebody says, how long should I pray? How many times should I pray? Sometimes people will say seven times 70, but all the times it's saying seven, it's meaning until it's done, until it's complete. You pray it through. You don't pray for something. You pray through something. If you're confident in this, if you're very confident in what God is doing in your life, you don't determine, I'm going to pray for something. Well, I tried that. Well, I prayed for that. Well, I tried that. I cannot stand when people are like, well, I'll try. I give them an assignment. They're like, well, I'll try. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You either do or you don't. I can respect if you say, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to do that. Let's just be honest with ourselves. You either do or you don't. Seven times, Elijah says, go back. And then the seventh time, the servant reported. I, well, I, I mean, I kind of see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And Elijah, having the faith of Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, that's it. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops. Meanwhile, the sky grew black and clouds came. The wind rose. The heavy rain started falling. I just wonder what activated the rain here. Come on, what activated the rain? Was it the word of Elijah? Was it the faith of Elijah? Because I think it was. I think it was. I think he saw just a hint of something. He saw only two fish and five loaves, and he said, that's all I need to feed the multitude. 
I think that's all he needed to see because he was expecting God to show up by rain. He was expecting God to follow through on his word. He was expecting God to follow through on everything that he said he was going to do. He was expecting God to be a God of his promises. He was expecting him. And so all he saw was a hint. He saw a hint of the answer of God. He saw a hint of the promise of God. And he grabbed onto it and he activated it. He put it into action. Come on, when, when God, Jesus says to the ten lepers, go and present yourself as healed. At what point were they healed? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It says somewhere from here to there. As they went, they were healed. And sometimes I wonder if they were like, ooh, shoot, are you healed yet? I don't know, are you, are you healed? Should we go another step? Because if we get there, we're going to get stoned. See, we're, we're breaking the law right now. We're operating. We're moving on faith. We're taking each step on faith. And I want to know when I'm going to be healed. But with every step, it was activated. We see this in Elijah's life. So it says the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. I would like to propose to you that the power of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. The tucking of his cloak is the trimming of the flesh. Come on, I can't have anything that will cause me to stumble when I'm running. If I'm angry, I'm going to stumble. If I'm bitter, I'm going to stumble. If I'm offended, I'm going to stumble. If I'm depressed, I'm going to stumble. If I'm, if I'm whatever, fill in the blank, I'm going to stumble. It is time for some of us to pick up your stuff and throw it back to the pit of hell. Gird yourself up and get ready to run. Because the Holy Spirit can come on you all day long, but if you haven't girded up your flesh, you ain't going to go nowhere. You're just going to stand there and feel shaking, Jake. But as soon as you leave the room, man, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. So not to be dismissed, I want to point out the boldness and the intensity and the confidence of the expectation of the prayer for rain. But this is when we turn the page to chapter 19. What happens to Elijah in chapter 19? Right on the heels of Elijah's victory, the enemy steps in to steal his fire, literally. To steal his abundance, literally. To steal his confidence, literally. He is quick. I would like to propose to you that in any time you have a victory, the enemy will be quick on your heels to steal your victory. He will be quick to trip you up. But here's the crazy thing about it is it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And it says this, so Jezebel sent a messenger. Come on, now she didn't even send it, send it herself. Some of you don't even have, the enemy doesn't even have to mess with you. All he does is send messages about your past. He sends messages that your parents say about you. He sends messages that your neighbor's saying about you. He sends messages that your mind is telling you. He sends messages that your foot is telling you, whatever it is, but you're listening. He is sending messages to you all day long because he wants to cut in on you on your race. He does not want you to persevere. He wants you to get discouraged, and he wants you to go into the wilderness. And so Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah and says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely by this time tomorrow, if I do not make your life like one of them. That word to me a messenger means to dispatch. It means to send somebody. Now, I would like to tell you this. You remember last night I talked a nugget about the Malak Yahweh. The Malak means a messenger. Yahweh means of the Lord. And there are places in the Old Testament where it says an angel of the Lord. This is the opposite. This messenger is the Hebrew word just Malak without the Yahweh. It's just a messenger. See, sometimes it doesn't have to necessarily be a messenger of the devil. If it's just a messenger without God, it ain't good. If it's just a messenger without God, it's not good. 
And I would like to propose to you that the enemy himself was not, will not mess with you in your times of victory, but rather he will send messages to discourage you. He will dispatch the darkness of your past. He will, he will put darkness over, through your fears. He will send you the voice of your mama. He will send you the voice of your daddy. He will send you the voice of your inheritance. He will send you the voice of your DNA. He will send you the voice of your spouse. He will speak through the voice of your pastor. Come on, whoever it is. He will twist it. He will turn it. Voices of those around you, the darkness of opinions, the darkness of your fears, the darkness of your depression, the darkness of your insecurity are constantly sending you messages all day long. The enemy is doing nothing but dispatching a message to you all day long. This is why we have to keep our ear pressed to the lips of God. Oh, I love the picture of the psalm when it says, when you speak, I incline my ear towards your lips. Oh, that we would respond. And say, oh my God, when you speak, I incline my ear to your lips because I desperately need your voice because there are so many other voices, so many other opinions, so many other messages. I'm confused and I feel like I'm shooting for a moving target. And so this message comes to Elijah, cuts in on him in his race. If you remember, it says in Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you no longer obey the truth. Who cut in on you while you were running a good race? This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. Look, you've got to be careful because the enemy will be swift to cut you off while you are running. He wants to steal your tenacity. He wants to steal your confidence. And he does not want you to run. Come on, Elijah outran the enemy. He stayed out in front. When he girded himself up, it says he got to the heart of Jezreel before Ahab got there. Do you know how long of a run that was? Ahab's in a chariot. He's running. I don't think we're getting it. I don't think I'm getting it. I don't think I know the possibilities, the potential that I have to outrun the enemy, to arrive before he can even say boo. If I'm girded up with the power of the Holy Spirit and I've got my loins girded up and I'm ready to run, we got to get ready, ladies. we got to get ready. But don't think that the enemy won't be hot on your heels. Don't think that he won't send a message. In fact, if he's not, it's probably because you're not doing anything. If you're sitting comfortable, you probably aren't very effective. I'm just, everybody knows in here I'm a truth teller. I'm a truth teller. But if you're pretty comfortable in your life right now and ain't nobody talking about you, Because people like to talk, right? They like to talk. He does not want you to outrun your enemy. He does not want you to outrun the message. Drives me crazy how one foul message can personally send me in a tizzy. Come on, I'm just being honest with you. Look at Cecily's like, mm -hmm, I've seen it. <laughs> She's not. But come on, one message. You call your friend, you call your husband, you talk to your neighbor about it. I oh, can you believe she said that? I don't send And we just spin and spin and spin. And the enemy's like, I didn't even touch her. All I did was send a message. If we can't stand against the messages that have been dispatched against us, how in the world are you going to face the devil? Come on, you got to be girded up with truth. you got to be armed with the Word of God. This is what I'm talking about, a relationship with the Bible. Don't just know it. you got to be living it. You've got to be a living epistle. The Word has got to be fleshed out in your life. You should be living a life that you don't have to say a word, that people just see it, they feel it, they sense it. You walk in the room, and they say something's different about her. 
Just like when Jesus walked in the room, the devils were like, oh, we're out of here. Come on, people knew. They knew, not because he said a word, but because he carried the presence of Christ. He carried the presence of the kingdom in him. Then it goes on and it says, back to verse 3, back to Elijah. This is interesting to me. Some versions say Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. But if you read it in the original language and you read it in the King James Version or in the Hebrew, it actually says when he saw that. When he saw what? A message was sent that was given to him audibly, but he saw it. Somehow the message moved from his ear to his eye. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about false imaginations that exalt themselves against the truth of Christ. And I would like to propose to you that some of us are living out our fears in our mind, that we're living out the worst case scenario, that we have false imaginations of what our husband's doing when we're not around. Come on, let's just keep it real. We have false imaginations of what our kids are doing in their bedroom. We have false imaginations of how I'm going to fail if I try that. And it says, it says in the original language, it doesn't say when he heard this, it says when he saw this. It's the idea of having a vision and perceiving it, beholding it. He didn't just have a vision, but he took a hold of that vision. And suddenly, the truth that he was experienced on the mountaintop became nothing. It became inconsequential compared to the vision he was having in his mind because a message was sent from the enemy. I'm telling you, we got to get girded up. Because he has gone from standing on a mountaintop to chasing down the wilderness. The Bible goes on and it says, when he saw that he arose and he ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, he, there was an intentional, I want to be alone. I'm going I'm I'm to travel 20 miles to drop my servant off, and then I'm going to intentionally turn away from where God has called me to be going, come on, and I'm going to March myself right on into the wilderness alone where I can have me a pity party. What has happened to Elijah? He's not persevering. So it goes on and says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down on a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. It is enough! Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He runs a hundred miles to drop his servant off. This is not a short journey. He is really, really... Uh, he is really, really determined to get himself into the wilderness. Goes on and says, he begins to have this conversation with the Lord about his purpose, about the futility of his life. It's interesting to me that he doesn't see the value of what he's just accomplished. Come on, somebody needs to hear that in here. It's interesting to me that he doesn't see the value of what he has just accomplished. He simply cannot get past the message of the enemy. It's as if he is saying, God, what am I doing here? What is my life for? All the prophets are gone. I'm the only one here. I'm ineffective. I don't know what I'm doing. It's not working. Come on, I know all these phrases really well because I say them. I'm not outside of you guys. I'm just as human as you are. The message says it like this. He came to a lone broom bush and he collapsed in its shade. Can you imagine the drama? He just collapses. <laughs> Wanting to be in the worst way, done with it all, to just die. And he says, enough of this. Take my life. I'm ready to join. We should do a drama, a TikTok on this. <laughs> you know, there. Exhausted, he fell asleep. 
all alone under the broom bush. Come on, some of us go to bed like that. And I can't stay the cancer of my ass. And our husband's like, thank God she's finally asleep. Sweet Jesus, somebody help her. What a sad moment for all of us when we see the man of God, the prophet who has just stepped off the mountain of God and is now in the wilderness because of a message. I'm telling you, you got to watch what's going on in your mind. You got to watch what's going on in your heart because it will steal your perseverance. You have to determine, I will not believe any other word but the word of God. You've got to hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against him. You've got to walk according to the lamp of the Lord. You've got to hide it in your heart that you can walk in the purity of the kingdom. You've got to be girded up. You cannot wait until you are in battle. That's why the Bible says, put on the armor of God so that in the day of battle you will stand. It doesn't say, hey, when you're in battle, hurry up and find your armor and hope you can get it on really quick. Because it ain't going to work. This means when I say you have to have a relationship with the Bible, that means every day you're declaring the word of God over your life. You're declaring the promises. You're going to bed every night envisioning yourself doing the thing. You're envisioning yourself being the illumination to the people around you. You're envisioning yourself having the influence on your culture. You're envisioning yourself, come on, some of us can't even feel, see ourselves having an influence on our own children. We're that discouraged. The enemy has stolen your ability to persevere when God says, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. It doesn't say it's coming. It doesn't say you have to work it up. It doesn't say you have to be good enough. It doesn't say you have to do all the right things. It doesn't say your past disqualifies you. It says the glory of the Lord is upon you. Arise and shine. If you take a look at that in the Hebrew, that word arise means I'm going to come into myself. I'm going to come onto the scene. I'm going to remember who I am. I'm going to remember what I'm called for. I'm going to remember my possibilities. And the enemy needs to back off because this girl's arising and shining because the glory of the Lord is upon me. Come on, everybody say that. The glory of the Lord is upon me. The glory of the Lord is upon me. Yes, God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. I know you guys thought I was done, but I'm not. So what a sad moment is this is. We read this. On one hand, we're shocked at how easily his ministry gets shaded and jaded by the enemy. But on the other hand, we kind of get it. We kind of get it. So we know the story goes on to talk about an angel of the Lord. The Malach Yahweh shows up. Come on, wherever the Malach Yahweh shows up, the enemy's going to show up. But when the enemy shows up, the Malach Yahweh is going to show up. He's always going to trump your message with his truth. And the Bible says that he goes on to begin to, he begins to feed him. He says to him two times, not once, but twice, arise and eat. Come on, that word arise. Come into yourself. Come on, snap out of it. Pull yourself together is what he is saying. He's like, come on. Arise and eat for the journey is too great and too long for you. It reminds me of when Jesus says to the disciples when they're out in the boat, oh, ye have little faith. See, we, we hear that and we think it's not enough faith, but what it actually means is it's a short-lived faith. This is right on the heels where they watch Jesus feeding the multitude. They... Were the activation of the miracle. Come on. He handed the two fish, the five loaves to the disciples and said, you feed them. They began to feel the manifestation of kingdom supernatural provision flowing right through their hands. Come on. Experiencing the very anointing flowing through them. Yet a, a day later, they're on a lake 
the lake that Jesus told them to get on, cast out into, and he navigates them right into the middle of a storm while he has grabbed a pillow and gone to sleep. That tells me he didn't just fall asleep. He was intentional. I'm going to take a nap here and see what y'all do. See, because we just had some teaching and training time, but now we're going to have a quiz. And we're going to see how you do. This is not in my notes, but it's good. Thank you, Jesus. It's always fun when God... He's like an improv God, you know? I see this. Okay. So he says this, oh, ye of little faith. And when he says that, he's not talking about not having enough faith. He's saying, where's the faith you had yesterday when you fed the multitude? And that's what he's saying here. Arise and eat. This journey is too great for you. What has happened to you? You've lost your faith. The faith that you had on the mountain yesterday. Why are you here? When the journey isn't necessarily too big, but it's too long. When you feel like it's taking forever to see the fruit of your ministry. Come on, am I talking to anybody in here? When you feel like you're doing everything that God has told you to do, but it's not working. Working. <laughs> it's not working. You've been shining, and you've been shining, and you've been shining and illuminating, and all, and you're just exhausted, and you see nothing. Well, let's keep it real, Elijah, his own people were hiding from him because they were afraid of him too. They didn't want to be seen with, seen with him. And he was being criticized and judged by the people in his own land. Israelite nation was his own land. Y'all are like super quiet in the room. Get too real in here. Because let's be honest, some of the most difficult things to overcome is the words and the criticism for the people around you. I was thinking about David when he shows up on the battle lines and Saul's army is there. These are his brothers. And they are dressed. Come on, this is, a good, this is a good example. They're dressed and they're ready. They have the armor of the Lord on them, but they never engage in the battle. Come on, that's having the light in you, but not having it on you. And they criticize David and they say, you're just arrogant and you're prideful. Go on home. He wasn't oppressed. He was, his opposition wasn't his enemy. His opposition was his own people. And sometimes we have to not just deal with the enemy, we have to deal with our own people. But I love that God had patience in that moment for Elijah, and he begins to feed him and coddle him and nourish him. He recognizes Elijah needs a minute. He needs a minute. He needs daily bread. He needs to be fed. The journey is too long for him. I'm reminded of the Israelites where it says, I'm going to give you manna every day. And he says, but don't save the manna for tomorrow because tomorrow that manna will turn to mealyworms. Again, a picture that on a daily basis, we have got to have a relationship with the Bible, knowing that I have got to have, and there are times that I'm just laying there and I'm like, Lord, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, I'm so discouraged that I just need you to, to lay some word by my head. You know, y'all ever just listen to the word like right here on your pillow? Is it just me? How about you guys ever sleep on your word? That's me. Like these guys laugh at me when we go places. I'll be like face down. I'm like, I'm too tired to read. I can't see. My readers are in the car. I'm just going to put my face on and hopefully osmosis will happen. I just think it will happen, you know? The word of God is alive and active. It's just going to give me a little facial. It's happening right here. But I, I wonder how is this happening, you know? 
This angel of the Lord just shows up. So we need daily bread. We can't rely on yesterday's bread to get us through today. We need a fresh word every day, fresh manna. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. In Colossians 3, 2, it says you have to set your mind on things above. In the message, it says to be habitually focused upon. To set your mind on things above. In the Greek, that word, that word to set your mind, it means uh, phreneo, which is the inclusion of not just the mind, but also the affection of your heart. A lot of versions will say your attitude. Because it's the exercise of your thinking along with the affection of your heart. I need to intentionally, habitually stay focused on the things of the kingdom. Because if not, I'm going to get discouraged. I'm going to end up like Elijah, driving myself into the wilderness, finding myself depleted, exhausted, and discouraged because of one message. Come on. I've been there. And if we don't decide, if we don't predetermine that we will persevere, we will end up there too. So it goes on, it says, from the shade tree, he goes into the darkness of a cave. In verse 9, it says, there, and there he went into a cave, and he spent a night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said this. Now listen to this phrase. What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, and for the children of Israel. But the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed all the prophets with the sword. Which, by the way, Obadiah did tell him in the beginning of chapter 18 that there were 100 prophets in the caves. So he's got himself in a spin, in a tizzy, and he is completely living a lie. He has now convinced himself he's the only one, and Jezebel's out for his life. I'm alone, and I am left, and now they seek to take my life. Again, in verse 13 and 14, it says, suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I can't help but think of when uh, Adam and Eve were hiding after they sinned, and God shows up and he says, where are you? He's not asking that question because he doesn't know where they're at. He's asking that question because they don't know where they're at. He's not asking Elijah, what are you doing here? Because he doesn't know what he's doing there. He's asking Elijah because Elijah doesn't know what he's doing there. See, he's starting to call forth a reminder of what you're here for. See, he's like, I don't know what I'm here for. And he's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? I don't know what I'm here for. What are you doing here, Elijah? He's beginning to ask him questions to help himself discover there is a purpose that you have, and this is not it. What are you doing? Come on, what are you doing here, Pastor Noah? What are you doing here, Cecily? What are you doing here, Stacy? Where are you? I know you're sitting here in a chair. I know you're here to hear the word of God, but the question is, what are you doing here? Why are we here? What is this all about? And in the middle of that, there's a shift. Then he, God, says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, and the Lord will pass you by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. And the Bible says after that, there was a still, small voice. Now, I would like to propose to you one thing. The voice came after he stepped out of the cave. I'm going to say it again. Because some of us are sitting in our cave waiting to hear the voice of the Lord. And God is saying, sometimes you got to step out and activate my voice. So he says, come out of the cave. And then a still small voice begins to come, a representation of there's something inside of me that won't let me go. 
There's something inside of me that gets me up out of bed every morning. There's something inside of me that allures me into my tomorrow. There's something inside of me that stirs me to do something outside of myself. There is a still small voice inside of me. And no matter how much I try and quiet that voice, that voice still speaks. Saying, you have purpose. You have passion. I have called you for such a time as this. I have caused the light to shine upon you. Arise, my child. Stand, for the glory of the Lord has come upon you. Take your rightful place. This is your season. This is your time. This is your day. It is time for you to tap into the still, small voice and to arise. And it goes on and it says, And so it was that when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face. He grabbed his mantle and he wrapped his face. Grabbing your mantle is a picture of the gifts and the anointing that I know that I have. I'm going to need this for where I'm going. Oh my gosh, I've heard the Lord. It's like he slaps it. He slaps him and he snaps out of it. He grabs the mantle of the Lord. He wraps it around his face and says, I've got work to do. And God responds to him by saying this. The Lord said to him, now go return. Go back through the wilderness and go back because I have three things I have in mind for you. I need you to anoint the priest, the king, and the prophet. He completely disregards his complaints, his lies, he doesn't engage with any conversation, but he says, let me remind you that you are anointed. Grab your mantle with a still small voice and remind him, I have work for you to do. Come out of the cave. Come out of the wilderness. Get back into a place of tenacity. Get back into a place of per perseverance. Grab your mantle. Wrap it around you because you're going to need it. And get on with the work of God. Get on with the work of God. In the end of this, it says, I have reserved. God says this. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword, Baal will kill, Elisha will kill. This is after he has said to him, you're going to go anoint all these people. And then these people are going to go kill, wipe all these things out. See, he was a pivotal piece in the resurrection of Israel, the nation of Israel. He could have stayed in the wilderness, and the king, the priest, and the prophet, who would immediately, who would ultimately wipe out the prophets of Baal completely, would never have been anointed. It seems so simple. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant that I'm just supposed to go and anoint these people, but these people are going to wipe all of this out. And God says, basically, I will win. I think you have forgotten that I am a God of my word. Because you have listened to a message that was not from me. Listen, God dismissed Elijah and his problem. His problem did not go away, but it became inconsequential in the presence of the Lord. As he grabbed his mantle and he came out of the cave and he was reminded, oh, suddenly I remember what I'm doing here. Two times he said, what are you doing here? And suddenly he remembers, oh, I remember what I'm doing here. I'm a prophet, and a prophet is called to anoint priests, kings, and prophets. And I would like to propose to you ladies tonight that God wants you to pick up your mantle, and he wants you to, to predetermine that you are going to run. He wants you to predetermine that you are going to persevere, that you didn't just have your light ignited tonight so that it can be snuffed out tomorrow. Come on, we have to decide. Everybody stand up with me. I almost want you to get a little mad. I want you to get that insistence. Stomp your foot if you need to. Get persistent. Get tenacious. When I think of tenacity, I think of a bulldog when you play tug of war with them with a rope. You know, and the more you tug, the more they tug back. 
And we got to be like that. I, I, I would like to propose to you that we've gotten a little weak in the kingdom. We, we're so worried about being offended, offending other people. We're more concerned about people than we are the mission of God. And we need to predetermine tonight that I'm going to grab my mantle. Come on, somebody just needs, just pretend like you're grabbing. You're just, I say pretend. It's a prophetic dagger. I'm just grabbing my mantle. Angela, you swing that purse. You swing that purse, Angela. She already did it. You swing that purse. That's her prayer mantle right there. Almost take my intercession on the road. You swing that purse. You get that mantle, and you get it on you, and you wrap it around. And I want you to hear the voice of the Lord asking you tonight, what are you doing here? Can you answer? Don't be afraid to answer, because I guarantee you there's a still small voice inside of you. You all know. You all know what you're doing here. You've tried to shut it up. The enemy has tried to crowd it. The enemy has tried to, to put it in the dark. He's tried to speak louder than it. But every single one of you knows. You want to know why I know you know? Because there's a still small voice inside of every single one of us. And no matter how much we try to shake it, you can't escape the presence of God. See, Psalm 139 says, even if you were to settle, choose, lay down in the depths of hell, even there my light will find you. Come on, that's a good word. It's good because it's the Bible. That means you can't escape his presence. He says, even if you were to settle in darkness, my presence would become the light around you. Because you can't escape him. So we're going to grab our mantle tonight, God. And we're going to arise and we're going to shine. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.